Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. If you want to make an impact online, GoDaddy.com has what you need. Dot-com names as low as $1.99. Plus, world-class hosting, fast and easy website builders, and much more. As a listener of the Talking Metal podcast, enter Metal 2, that's M-E-T-A-L-2, when you check out, and you will save an additional 10% on any order. Some restrictions may apply. See site for details. Get your piece of the internet at GoDaddy.com, official sponsor of the Talking Metal podcast. The best hard rock, the best heavy metal, Talking Metal. A podcast hosted by Mark Striegel and John Astronomy. Available through iTunes and most other podcast providers. Feel the power. Feel the glory. TalkingMetal.com John Astronomy here. We are outside Sony 550 Records. Mark Striegel. There's only a few buildings in New York like this one that you know what it is when you just say the numbers. Like 550. Everybody knows that's the Sony building. 1515. People know that's, uh, you know, Viacom. Anyways, we're here in front of 550 Madison Avenue, the Sony label building here. We're about to go up and... Apparently, we're going to be some of the first people in the country to hear the new Judas Priest record. Right. We are going to hear the record in its entirety, and we are totally psyched for this. And in addition, we have an amazing podcast for you guys today. We have the uncut Talking Metal on Fuse interview with the one and only legendary guitarist, Slash. Real quick, on this interview, when we did the interview, they told us about two days in advance that we're going to be interviewing Slash. So I did not have time to read the whole book. They, I, I picked up the Slash book and read about the first 100 pages, which is just a slight disclaimer. There's stuff Slash starts talking about that are stories from the book that I was, uh, at the time of the interview, uh, unfamiliar with. And that's because at that time I hadn't read the book. I've since read the book. It's a great book. Everybody should pick it up. We're going to follow the Slash interview with a little velvet revolver. Use the links on TalkingMetal.com to download some Velvet Revolver on iTunes. 
Absolutely. Uh, we had a great time. We were hanging out at the Rainbow Bar and Grill. Sorry, guys, for asking so many questions about BMX biking. Everybody came down a little bit on me on that. But anyway, we had a blast. Uh, Slash was really cool. He showed us around the Rainbow. And uh, what else we got on this podcast, Mark? We got a band called Drive A. We're going to end the podcast with Bruno from Drive A. He's checking in with us. They're a great young band. And we'll hear some of their music. We'll link them through today's show notes on TalkingMetal.com. Guys, if you are in a band, this is a great opportunity for you. We need you to register your band's domain name. Like, you know, Nick has his band Speed Kills. Why not get SpeedKills.com or SpeedKillsBand.com or SpeedKillsFormallyInvasion.com? or .net or .tv, whatever the hell you want. Because right now, the Speed Kills website is myspace.com slash invasion, which is a little confusing. Makes no sense. Right. So here's the deal, guys. Go over to godaddy.com using the links on talkingmetal.com, and if you do that, we have something special for you that Mark is going to tell you about. Listen, if you're in a band and you go and use those links on TalkingMetal.com to make your purchase of your domain name, link it over to your MySpace page or whatever works for you guys, and you can prove to us that you bought your band's website domain name through TalkingMetal.com using those links, we will play and promote your band on the podcast. We'll play a full cut of your band, and we will hype the hell out of them. So it's a great opportunity. Anybody, please support Talking Metal. Listen, this is a free show. We don't ask you to do much for us. If you can go to TalkingMetal.com, go through the links, check out GoDaddy, make a purchase. There's gift cards. There's all sorts of great stuff. you got to use those links from Talking Metal to get over to GoDaddy, though. Uh, and, again, it's a free podcast. We have people always saying they want to give us money in uh, our PayPal accounts. They want to buy us drinks. We don't want any of that. All we want you guys to do is go to GoDaddy using our links and make a purchase. And you can buy just something little, you know, anything. Yeah, six ninety five a year for your own domain name. I mean, you cannot beat that. And there are lots of cool things on GoDaddy.com as well. Now, there are three different banners on TalkingMetal.com. Sift through, figure out which one works best for you, and make a purchase. Support Talking Metal by supporting GoDaddy. And in return, we will promote your band. Play your band Hell, why don't we even do an interview with... We'll randomly select one of these bands, and we'll do a full Talking Metal interview with them on the podcast. So there you go. We got, we're got we already late for our listening party here at Judas uh, the Judas Priest uh, label headquarters, Sony 550 Madison Avenue. We're going to run in, but here is Slash, recorded right before Christmas last year at the Rainbow Bar and Grill in Hollywood, California, followed by a great new young band called Drive A, Bruno. Check out TalkingMetal.com for all the links and all that good stuff. And we'll throw in a little music, some sound samples by Velvet Revolver and Drive A to round it all out. Yes. Cool. Check it out. Actually, can you get me an ashtray? Because they actually let me smoke in here. Oh, yeah. Mainly, I love that, that uh, Firebird. It's cool. That's nice. Did you get a black one, too? Uh, no, I just got... Uh, it was like a wine red? Yeah, just the red one. Thank but you. I got a second one, too. John does work for Gibson. I don't know if he told yeah, me. Yeah, no, I mentioned well, just consulted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought it was hot. 
Thanks very much for coming down. Yeah. I, know, oh, yeah, yeah. I know it's going to be annoying, but as much as you can kind of keep the cigarette down and right. smoke in between talking, because we've got to kind of cut around it a little bit. Okay. So the show is called Talking Metal. Um, we had Dave Mustaine, Nikki Sick, um, Dokken, um, Glenn Danzig, Mike Patton, a ton of people on. We're just kind of hanging out. Younger bands, too. Yeah, yeah. Younger bands too. we had Kill Switch Engage and Land of God. Um, so everyone's just kind of hanging out, Talking Metal with John and Mark. Um, we've been huge fans forever. Super laid back. If you say something that you don't want, on air, we edit it, so just let us know. Okay. If there's something you don't want to talk about. Can I get a, um, a cranberry and soda? Yep. Yeah? Jeff, a cranberry and soda? Okay. And, um, well, if you curse, we bleep it out, so just You're allowed to curse, but... Okay. All right, cool. Do you want to wait for your drink, or are you cool to roll, and then we're going to... It's up to you. You can start. Okay, I'm cool. Um, yeah? Sure. Interesting. <coughs> Slash, thanks for coming down to the Rainbow yeah. and hanging out with us. This place has so much history for you. I mean, one thing I'm learning from your book is that you grew up right in this neighborhood. Yeah. You know, so, and it's just odd because a lot of times you think of rock stars from L.A. and you think, well, they came here from the Midwest or they came here from Pennsylvania or somewhere, but this is your hometown. This Basically, is your home yeah. I wasn't born here, but I got here young enough to, you know, and I was pretty much raised here and in this general area, yeah, so. Right. So it's not only memories from, like, your days with guns or slash a snake pit that took place here. It's like you have memories from right I, I was coming BMX. here way before. I was, I was coming Please, here. I'm enough. sorry. Show again. Oh. Okay. Slash, thanks so much for coming down and hanging with Talking Metal here at the Rainbow Bar and Grill uh -huh. on Sunset. This is a place that has a ton of history for you. I mean, you grew up in this neighborhood, really. Yeah, basically. So. <laughs> I think the coolest thing is that you used to ride your bike all around this entire area and terrorize places and do a bunch of yeah, cool stuff. Yeah, we were pretty. We were pretty bad, actually. You know, it's it's such a young age, though, like 12, 13, 12, 13 years Amazing. old. We're just complete hooligans, you know. Very cool. You yeah. know what? Um, I was uh, into to BMX, and one of your favorite magazines was my favorite magazine, Bicycle Motocross Action. Yeah. And did you ever hear of R.L. Osborne or Mike? Yeah, Mike? yeah. The trick R. guys? R.L. Osborne, he was the son of the editor. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, <laughs> so that's why he got that gig. Right. But Scott, he was good, too. Scott Bryhop, Stu Thompson, yeah. um, the Patterson brothers. Um, there was a bunch of guys back then. They were like the forefathers of the BMX scene, and we were that the, the younger generation that was chasing that, that whole dream around. What got you into that? Yeah, I don't know. You know, maybe I just I saw somebody doing it, and it just it just appealed to. I think I always was into bicycles, and then when I saw what the possibilities were for freestyle and stuff, I just picked up on that. Cool. What kind of bike did you? Have? Um, I had a Cooksbury. At one point, I had a Cooksbury. I had a Webco. I had a FMF. Uh, Mongoose. Was oh, cool. the, the last one I had was a Redline. Wow. And so you had like just about all the great brands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a Schwinn, and the, the problem with me with racing is it had Skyway tough wheels on it, and which were great for and it all the like eighty-five pounds. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They, weighed, <laughs> they were just too heavy, and uh, I never won a race. Actually, like I officially raced, but uh -huh. I never won one. But. I did. I did pretty well. If I if I kept going, um, 
you know, I probably would have, I mean, I was like semi-pro, I really wasn't making any money off of it, but um, I was just getting to that point where I was starting to get recognized as being oh, a half-decent cool. writer. But uh, then all of a sudden, the guitar came along, and that sort of changed everything. I have a BMX bike in, in my at my house now that wow. I just I just got. It's a uh, cool. uh, what's the, what's the guy's name that um, it's a really big freestyler these days. Mm. He, you know, made, I he lost made it. Track yeah, it. I, I can't remember his name offhand. But anyway, they just gave it to me, and so I've been riding it around the around my house and taking a couple of decent spills on it. I used to just try to jump anything that I could do, yeah. and I used to make my own tracks and all that kind of stuff. But you guys had pro tracks that you could ride. Well, the there. tracks were one thing, but we, you know, we did all the urban stuff around right. the neighborhood, which was all street racing, and we were insane. And then, you know, on the weekends, I'd go out to uh, out to the valley, Reseda, and then and actually race. You know? and, and, and what's cool is that you used to do the like the urban stuff where. Did you actually ride in like a, an apartment building? It was your grandmother's apartment building? Well, we, she just moved into it and I didn't know that. And we'd been, it was it, this huge complex and uh, sort of like a, a, a block wide com, uh, condo. And it had lots of different levels and lots of staircases and it was just fun to. to was it done yet? It was, it was basically done and I ran into her one day and her and my mom. <laughs> And it was about eight of us. Just we used to chase each other down the halls and try and shut doors and block each other off. That's and, great. You know, bunny, you know, bunny hop and, and skid marks on the walls and all that kind of when stuff. When they just freshly painted a wall, yeah, they yeah, had yeah, a yeah. nice little track mark on it. And uh, ran into my mom and my grandmother, and I was I, I was speechless. There was there was no spontaneous fucking lie I could come up with that was going to satisfy at that point. But it, what, what was great is that you said that you just kind of said, "I just came to see you, Grandma," and, you, and your mom like. <laughs> saw your buddies. grandmother's reaction and she was so happy to see you that you that she kind of just went along it. with it yeah. right and she didn't even come down on you for that yeah one. the repercussions weren't too severe i just want to say you had such uh, you have such great parents uh, your, your mom doing the fashion design your, your father a graphic designer and i just think it, it's so cool that they supported you and and just you know we're very cool and the, the coolest thing is that they introduce you to so much music yeah that was a, it was a really cool upbringing it was i was raised around a lot of really cool people and my parents obviously were very cool and it's just funny that i didn't you know like all of a sudden get the the idea of playing music until i was you right know, until i was right. 15 and at that point i was pretty you know i mean i, I was still basically uh close to my parents but i was pretty much an you know a tearaway right. and so at 15 i was off doing all kinds of other stuff maybe it know? was because they were so into music that you kind of went off on i just other... never occurred to me it was such like the background music of my you know the, the background of my life was all around music, music right. it just never occurred to me to actually pick up an instrument but i always thought they were cool i spent a lot of time at rehearsals and recording sessions and at gigs and stuff and i always had that that um that thing where you just see us, uh, 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 drums and a bass and all that, you know, guitars right. set up, and I'd be like, wow. You know, that was really cool. Till this day, I am like that. I have an extra room in my apartment that I don't even go in that has uh, three stacks, a drum kit, a bunch of guitars, yeah. and I just like looking at them. Yeah, I just, it's the same, the same thing. thing with me. It's like guitars are, you know, I keep a guitar in the bedroom, you know, just because because I like to be able to pick it up at any time. But also, there's something very sexy about guitars. Absolutely. And, and I like to be, in, in, you know, surrounded by instruments or be in, a, in, like you said, like a room that's all set up. Or even just going to a local club before a band plays and seeing all the gear set. Yeah. So to me, it, it's it, it's a turn on to see that kind yeah. of stuff. Slash, what are some of your earliest memories of the rainbow? Um, probably just getting in here. You know, I had a fake ID, and I used to just come in and hang out. And I was, you know, probably the girls was the big thing. <laughs> um, 
uh, I think uh, I had one incident here. I mean, there was a lot of different things that happened. It was such a scene back, you know, when I was younger. Um, I think one of the things I did is I got actually busted on my ID. Oh yeah. Coming in here one time, and I I, uh, I was with Steve Adler, and we were going to go pick up on some chicks, right? Mm. And uh, so what happened was we get to Steady, who works the door. I think Steady's still working the door here. And uh, all of a sudden, he busted me on my ID. Right? Right. And Steve got in. And it was ladies' night. It was Tuesday. And so I was like, fuck, you know, now what? So I went back to my house, and I was pretty drunk at the time. And so I dressed up in my mom's clothes and came back as a girl and got in. But my whole thing was I was going to pick up on Steven, you know. But right. Right, by the time I got here, he'd already taken off with some chick. And that black cloud of all of a sudden realizing that I was dressed in drag. Right. It hit me. I'll never forget that. <laughs> I know you, know you said that when you were going back home, you thought that everybody I, every, was, like, every, whistling every, at you. Every, every noise, you. anybody who said anything or whistled or anything I thought was directed at me. It was the longest <laughs> walk to my car. <laughs> but, uh, you know, a lot of rowdy, rowdy nights in this place. And, um, you know, as much as I, I hate to sort of advocate, you know, sort of L.A. hotspots or be right. sort of recognized as, as one of those guys that was sort of an L.A. musician, you know, because I hated that scene back then. The Rainbow was still always, you know, there's a, some, some sort of traditional thing about it because it was around way before the glam scene Going started. Going back to Led Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin yeah. Elvis Presley, Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. I mean, yeah. right. So, so you know, it's always had a special place in my heart for me. But I've, I've you know, I've even been kicked out of here. For, <laughs> I remember I threw a salt shaker through that stained glass window back there one night when I was drunk and it There's fucking physically carried me out. But my, my grandmother told me a story about having to pick up my mom here in the parking lot because she was all drunk one night. Right. <laughs> you know, so a lot of stuff is happening here. Cool. Well, I mean, it, it, for me, I've been such a fan for a long time and I've seen you so many times through the years with guns and Slash's Snake Pit and Velvet Revolver, but I wanted to go way back to the first time I saw you. It was in Philly. You were opening up for Aerosmith, and there was some incident with Axel and his brother. And you, Do you remember this at all? And the whole yeah. crowd. It was one of those things, like with Guns N' Roses at that time, usually when there was an opening band, the place would be half-filled, but the arena was packed, and it was just when you guys were, you know, really breaking throughout the United States, and there was just such a frenzy attached Mm-hmm. to what you were doing back then. What are some of your memories of, like, was it hitting home, what was going on? It didn't, it didn't, I, you know, we were just, we've been opening for so many people. The, the highlight of the Aerosmith, you know, opening for Aerosmith was Aerosmith themselves and just right. having that, that was like a great camaraderie that was going on. It was a great double bill. But I didn't really realize that we were bringing a lot of the audience in ourselves until we played a giant stadium with them. Right. And that was, you know, there was a lot of bands on the bill and, yeah, Deep Purple and Aerosmith, and then we were the third from the top, right? right. And the, the you know the place just went completely insane when we came on, and that was the first time I, I sort of realized that the band, on its own merit, was actually starting to become pretty popular. Because right. for the first year and a half, nobody knew who the fuck we were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and we got used to that. Thing, I got yeah. used to it. Yeah. I, I I actually uh, when I first went to college, I was 17 years old, and uh, I had a songwriting teacher who said that I have to start writing a journal, and I started it the day it was either September or October 1987. I went to the Paradise Rock Club in Boston, and the bill was EZO opening with Guns N' Roses. Paradise, I remember that place. And I was right up front, and uh, literally that was the start of my journal, and I always referred back to that date. That was a fun fun tour. um, those, Those early headlining club tours were great. Those that was that was probably the really the most fun. 
you know cool. I had because it was real scrappy you know right um, absolutely none of the none of the the uh, sort of luxuries of, of rock stardom had kicked in even halfway at that point wow. and we were just out there just kicking ass and taking names and whatnot. it was great I mean and it like shortly after that the the back at that same point I went to see Ace Frehley play and even though you guys had just come out the the insiders knew about you and I remember Ace had uh, pants on that had guns on him and he had a t-shirt on that had roses and he went look at me John he goes guns and roses and that was September that 87 like Ace. <laughs> and he, he you know he knew how to spot some cool people yeah. at that point and you guys were then I did not know that. I had no idea Ace even knew who we were until... Yeah, he absolutely did. You know, he has that way about him where it's like, oh, yeah, you guys, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, he, he loved you back then, oh. back at the beginning. Now, you know, one of the things that I thought was cool, and I just have to bring this up, I know it's kind of a, possibly a negative thing, but I read it in your great new book, Slash, is, and I love it because nobody talks about this anymore, but cassettes. Mm -hmm. You were totally into cassettes. Oh, yeah. And what I think is crazy is that you were somehow able to, like, pack these all in your body and your pants, and you would, like, you know, start out with a live record, and then you'd... Get the catalog. Get the whole catalog, yeah. Yeah, yeah I was pretty ambitious, you know. When, if, I, if I wanted something, I would figure out how to get it. And uh, cassettes were very convenient, and, and um, I, I figured out ways, you know. At first, it started out with a few, and then it ended up being a lot. Up until the point that I got popped for stealing them, right. and that sort of... <laughs> right. it, was that at Tower? That was at Tower, Tower, yeah. And I ended up getting a job there later. Right, which yeah, is totally wild. But I heard that when you got the job at Tower, you guys had some kind of, like, vodka and stuff, and you were going crazy with that? Well, there was... There was the crew that worked at Tower when I first started working there, um, actually the whole time I worked there, but uh, there was, there was um, let's see, Axel and myself, and it was just a whole myriad of very colorful characters that were working there. So, you know, a singer for, you know, uh, this one singer named Saul who was like six feet long, who was the epitome of the hair metal kind of look. Real big, blonde, curly-haired guy. And then there was some uh, some other sort of very shady characters, a couple of the L.A. Guns guys. And we all worked there, and so, you know, I worked the night shift with Axel. So after the, the shift managers all split, I, Axel was a shift manager. After the main manager left, you know, we go across the street uh, to Liquor Locker and, you know, stock up on a bunch of booze and we put it all in the office and make cocktails and then we'd run the rest of the night. And you freaked out the people. We'd movies on the, oh, on cool. the thing, you know. Uh, on the actual so, screens yeah, in yeah, Tower? Yeah, in Tower. Wow. So it was, it was pretty eclectic, you know, kind of kind of vibe. Now, didn't something bad happen and Axel wound up taking the fall for it? He, what happened was some, somehow we got busted and Axel was the shift manager, so he got he got fired. Wow. Right. And then I ended up being the shift manager after that. And uh, But I, I, I didn't have, I wasn't as uh, social, so I had my drinking patterns, but I didn't share them with the rest of it. Wow. Cool. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is like after after my stint at Tower, then Dave Kushner from, from oh, Velvet Revolver got a job there, and he had his drinking problem there, too. <laughs> he worked downstairs in the boxing section, <laughs> and uh, which was where everybody went to go drink, and he sort of carried on a very dark, private, dark drinking habit down there. We were trying to actually figure out where Tower was. Where you where uh, it used to be? Well, you can't miss the Tower Records. I'm talking. I was at Tower Video, so oh, okay. Tower Records is this big building down the street on the on the north side of the street, which is not open. It's the biggest. It's the biggest structure on that side of Sunset, uh, right after um, the street that I used to live on. Um, I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> anyway, and then Liquor Locker is across the street, right across and right, right across the street going east is the building, another closed building, where the Tower Video used to be. Cool. Yeah. You spoke about it in the book, 
the Rocks record, which changed your life. Yeah. And is it a record, like a lot of records that when I was a kid that I just wore the grooves off of, it's very hard for me sometimes to still listen to them because I've heard them so many times over and over and over again. Is that a record you can still put on and oh, yeah. enjoy yeah, as yeah. much as ever? Yeah, there's a certain attitude to the Rocks record which I identified with when I was a kid. And uh, it, 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 you can sort of tell it set the stage for where I was going to be headed, mm -hmm. you know, unbeknownst to me. But I was that kind of rebellious... Um, troublemaking kid that that was the perfect theme music for. You know? Right. And it hit me like a ton of bricks the first time I heard it. And so I still identify with it to this day because I still, um, I might not be quite as, as, uh, as much of a punk as I was at that point. You know, right. I mean, I've been around the block a couple of times now, you know. But, uh, but that record still has an attitude and a, um, a sound that I still identify with and I still sort of go that direction, you know. Yeah, definitely. Have you heard the, cover version of uh, Back in the Saddle that Sebastian and no. Axel put uh -uh. out. No, no, I haven't heard that yet. Yeah. My favorite <laughs> story about, I like it. Yeah. My, I was going to say, my favorite story about that song is when, when uh, there was this older girl, and I'm just referring to the book again yeah. because I'm, I'm so into the book, but and I actually feel like I'm living it with you because you actually even said it almost reads like a journal. Yeah. And uh, and you, there was this girl named Lori, and you went to her house, and the whole you know point was to hook up with her. But then you they put on rocks. You put on rocks. Yeah. And, she she actually put oh it she on. put it on. No no I put it on. That's right I put it on. I saw it. I recognized it because I'd seen it somewhere before, and I'd actually heard like the first two songs. And so when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's that record, and I put it on. But uh, my 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 old girlfriend from way back. Way back when Melissa was in the book, right. so my first girlfriend. I saw her in Minneapolis lately. She says, "So, so that who is that chick, Lori?" You were talking <laughs> about. It's funny. What's cool about Melissa is that you kind of had this on and off thing with her for yeah. for many six years. years. Wow, she's cool though. And it's so cool that you just saw her in what Minneapolis. Yeah, well, we've been you know we've we've kept in contact over the years. Cool. We have a lot of mutual friends and and. Uh, um, at some point, when Guns N' Roses started to sort of, you know, hit in Los Angeles, um, a lot of my friends from high school and junior high school started to become friends with a couple of the guys in the band. So, very incestuous kind of thing going right. on. Wow. And, uh, actually, was ended up being pretty rough, rough on some of those kids. <laughs> you know, um, anyhow, but. Uh, Anyway, Lori, yeah, she that experience over at her rec at her place with that record, it was like I just became glued to to the actual album, and she was like the one of the hottest girls around at that point. Cool. And uh, you know, and I had a, a definite shoe in, and I just blew it, but it was worth it. Did you ever have a repeat engagement with her? She didn't want to talk to me oh. again. I, I, I basically <laughs> stood her up to her face for two hours in her, her apartment, and ignored the shit out of her. So, slash, I'm a big Alice Cooper fan. I was. Mm. Uh, on my iPod the other day, and uh, this awesome version popped up of uh, No More Mr. Nice Guy with you and Roger Daltrey, right. and also a big Who fan, yeah. as well as Slash. I actually was with Roger on a plane the other day, and we were talking about that. It's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. very cool. When did you do that? I don't, you know what, we were, we were trying to figure that, figure that out. Um, I guess it was sometime in the early, early 90s, you know, like probably, probably uh, 93, 92, 93. And Roger, I guess, is an Alice fan, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you, you actually played with Alice. You did, uh, you were on his record, mm -hmm. and then you guys did that uh, cover of uh, Under My Wheels, too, right. which is very hard to find nowadays. Is it? Yeah, never was uh, I, I don't have a copy of it. Yeah. I played with Alice a bunch of times. He's another guy that's actually not in the book. Um, the guy who used to do all, all Alice's photos was... 
good friends with my dad. My mom, my mom's best friend, did his makeup. Who was my dad's best friend's wife? Okay. okay, and so my dad took me over to John's. John's the photographer. John's studio one time, and he was shooting Alice, and that was the first time I ever met him. And I probably was about seven, something, something wow. like that. And and uh, you know, but I knew who Alice Cooper was, and right. I, you know, I really liked him because, yeah. like some kids like Kiss, I liked Alice Cooper, and he had that that whole look to him and all that kind of stuff. And he represented the sort of dark side of rock and roll. And sure. So I dug him. Anyhow, so uh, and I watched him, you know, watched him do his photo shoot, and then watched my dad and John and Alice drink so more beer than I'd ever seen anybody drink and then all get too drunk to be able to figure out how anybody was going to get home and we ended up hanging out there until right. four o'clock in the morning wow. or something. I remember falling asleep there but that's my that was my first introduction to Alice and then uh you know, we opened for him, and uh, you know, we got to be really good friends. He's sort of like, in a way, he he sort of took us under his wing, you know, to an extent when we were opening for him. And I've just been friends with him ever since. And we just did a gig uh, for the Scream Awards recently. Oh, cool! Yeah, which was fun. Cool. I mean, besides him, you've worked with so many other, like rock and roll and just music icons and mm -hmm. Iggy Pop. Yeah, Iggy's great. Memories of that. You were in the video and everything. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. That was. Was it, was it Actually, that was started. It? Yeah, it was the song. The video was home. Yeah, home, and then there was like four songs on the record. But that all started here at the Rainbow. We met Duff and I met Iggy here, and he brought his demo tape, and it was just Iggy on acoustic, and he asked right. us if we'd be interested in playing on it, which of course was like a huge, you know, thing for Duff and I. Since, oh, you know. So uh, um, we we hooked up with Don Was and, and Iggy at a studio in Hollywood after that, and sort mm -hmm. of worked up these four songs of his. It was a great experience. I mean, uh, uh, Iggy sort of epitomizes the kind of rock and roll that sort of that I was weaned on. Right, know? right. So, Michael you know, Jackson. North Michael's, Jackson. Yeah, Michael's another one. Yeah. I mean, in, in his own way, I remember being a kid and, and listening to Dancing Machine and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, he's badass. You know, yeah. as crazy as Michael's existence obviously is, um, as an artist, he's one of the most amazing performers and most talented, um, you know, entertainers, singers, yeah. dancers I've ever had the pleasure of working with. Do you ever have contact with him anymore? I haven't seen him ever since everything went completely haywire with him. I haven't mm -hmm. seen him. I, I saw him towards the beginning of it over at uh, Robert Evans' house. And they were right. talking about doing a movie, and then the shit just went wide open after that. Wow. So I haven't seen him since. He's been sort of a recluse. I think he was living in Dubai or something. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Dubai, you guys, uh, I heard, are going over there. We're playing there, yeah. Cool. Now, I wanted to ask you, as, as many cool people that you played with, uh, and this is also a very cool person, but you said that you had a learning experience when you did something with Bob Dylan. What happened with that? Um, well, Don was, since we'd done the Iggy Pop record, and, um, I, think, I think he found that I was pretty easy to work with. Um, they had, uh, uh, Bob was doing this record called Wiggle Wiggle, which was like, I don't know when exactly this was, but I, 1990 or somewhere in there. And uh, asked me if I'd be interested in playing on a Bob Dylan record, which I was, I'm a huge fan of Bob Dylan's. And that was one of the, you know, like Blonde on Blonde and stuff like that was were records that my dad loved and I was basically raised on, right. you know, along with the Stones and all this other shit. So um, I jumped at the chance, but I went down there and, 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 uh, and it was a great session. Uh, George Harrison was there wow. and, and, uh, Kim Bassinger was there. Well, why she was there, yeah, we don't why, know. Why but was she there? My, my guitar tech and I just sat there and we were just like, wow. It's in the summertime and it's like, <laughs> how could you go wrong? But uh, so I went in and, I, and I, I met Bob and he sort of 
told me what he wanted, and I just sort of played it the way that I heard it, and then I got the the finished version of it later, and Bob had taken the guitar solo off and kept the uh, acoustic. acoustic rhythm track, and wow. I was like, what the fuck? I mean, that was one of the better one-offs, you know, like spontaneous sort of... Wow. Um, uh, and so I said, so what was up with all that? And he goes, well, he just... He thought the guitar solo sounded too much like Guns N' Roses and just liked your acoustic stuff, which was a big hole in the song if you listen to right. it. The song goes along, and then the solo section, you just hear the strumming, and then the song picks up again. Right. But um, it was a learning experience because, you know, like I, I adapt easily, but sometimes you really need to pay attention to who the other artist is and what they're... Because he had mentioned at one point, um, I had this great quote, play it like Django. Right, Jane which was, Reinhardt, which right. is there's there's a style there's a little bit of a style there's a, that's a request that he's looking for a certain kind of feel, but uh, I was just very rough and tumble about the whole thing and just did it my way. And, I'd love yeah. to hear the uh, the track with your solo on it. Yeah, I'd like to. I don't have a copy. Yeah, they, of it. they need to get that. We gotta <laughs> go find those tapes. I'll, I'll see if I can talk Bob into re-releasing it. <laughs> there you go. Like, you know, I was gonna ask uh, uh, about uh, just speaking of guitars, uh, you. Your first Les Paul copy was of Memphis, which I remember that brand, Memphis Dear. Guitars, yeah, absolutely. And did you ever think that all these years later, not only would there be slash model Les Pauls, but that we would be friends with Les Paul? And also, I feel that you are the guy that when everybody else was playing pointy Jacksons Kramers and, and Kramers and all yeah. that stuff, which I think are cool, um, but my favorites are, my favorite guitar is the Gibson Les Paul. You brought that back. Into rock, some, some people have said that. I, no, I mean, I actually none of it. I mean, when I first picked up the guitar, it was pretty much just very much in the moment, and I didn't have any real big sort of fantasies about the future. I mean, obviously, you have those those uh, sort of kid fantasies of like the stage and this and that and the other. I'm sure that that was all there, but I, I was really sort of working towards just being able to play the guitar and learning how to write a song. And, all that kind of stuff. So I had no visions of the of the future at all, wow. you know. But uh, it's funny because that was, the Les Paul was my bait. I mean, you have to understand. It's like I identified with um, a lot of guitar players, but I didn't know music well enough to know what sound, you know, what equated to which guitar and all that kind of stuff. Right. But the Les Paul was one of the cooler looking ones, and so I've, I always sort of gravitated towards towards uh, Les Paul. And I didn't even know who Les Paul was then. Wow. I didn't find out who Les Paul was until um, probably after I got that Memphis guitar and cool. then finally discovered Les Paul. But the first time I, I had the honor of meeting you was at uh, an event where they reopened the Iridium Jazz Club mm -hmm. in New York City and Les Paul played and you were there. Right. And it was such a, a cool event yeah, to see he, you he, and Les He wiped the stage up with me, I think. I remember. Nah, nah, I, think it, it I, had, I played with Les a lot, a lot of times and the first few times it was pretty hard because... He's such an amazing guitar player, and I'm just a rock guy that just sort of, like the two of us together, I really had to, to learn some chops. And wow. progressively, I would always use uh, gigging with Les as a barometer for how, how good I was getting technically wow. on guitar. I heard that if, if, uh, if he thinks the vibe isn't going well with one of his uh, special guests, he'll say in the microphone, uh, there's a phone call for you backstage. I don't know. Yeah, he he does, really does. He does, he does have some funny things that he does when it gets like a dead spot. Right. You know, and he'll start joking with it. It's a very humiliating, even in the audience, watching somebody going through that. I've seen him do it. Yeah. You know um, what's crazy? That night, John Paris, who's a, a great guitar player, uh, Les goes, uh, John, come on up on stage. And he was just, it took him like three minutes. And then by the time he came up, he goes, nope, that was your chance. You're off. <laughs> You're off. You're done. Hey, but, Slash, uh, um, Owen, you know, in the past, you've uh, 
mentioned that you like Megadeth, and I remember seeing you in an Anthrax T-shirt. Do you listen mm -hmm. to much metal anymore, like man? Well, I mean, I haven't. I listen to Megadeth a lot. I, you know, Anthrax has Anthrax hasn't put out uh, a new record that I'm aware of um, in a little a while. Years, yeah. But uh, back in the day, there was there was a lot of you know there was obviously Metallica who was great. Megadeth was fucking awesome, and Anthrax was also one of the bands that was actually pretty cool out of that slew of bands. So I, mm -hmm. I was always down for any of the bands that were actually genuine. And yeah. that was that was actually a lot cooler than what was going on right here on the Sunset Strip as yeah. far as bands were concerned at that time. And uh, so yeah, you know, you always sort of you know, support your peeps, you know. Yeah, Do you remember hearing Metallica for the first time? Oh, um, it, it, yeah, on Fairfax and uh, Melrose, someone turned me on to a cassette which was one of uh, Metallica's first releases. I'll never forget that because it was, was pretty. It like a demo, or was I it can't. Kill it was. It was an under. It was a gr under. You know, underground tape. It might have been Kill 'Em All. I'm not sure what it was at the time, but uh, it just sounded fucking intense. You know, right. and uh, that was my first exposure to them. And then I didn't really go and buy any of their records till Master of Puppets came out, which right. is still to this day one of the most standout metal records of all time. Yeah, absolutely. and I. And that's when I really got into them. And then I went back and bought their other two records and. Um, I've been a fan ever since. Cool. Um, we should probably, like, maybe just, like, two or three more questions. Oh, okay. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about was, um, in the book, you talk about how, like, I know if I meet a musician I really like, it sometimes affects how I listen to their music, and you said, like, with David Bowie, like, knowing him personally kind of, like, enhanced how you saw him on stage, and, um, so I was just wondering if there was any other musicians that your personal interactions kind of affected their music, and also did that influence what you put into your book and kept out of the book as far as like what you wanted the fans to know about you? You obviously think this book is a lot deeper than it really is. <laughs> no, <laughs> saying, like, uh, no. Different things that you've done, you know. Yeah, no, um, okay, so how, you want, you're going to translate that into a yeah, question? Should I, or? should I ask it? No, you can kind of okay. just answer it and just look to them. Mm. So I'm going to put this right here? That's cool. Or you want to keep it down all together? Yeah. All right. You can keep it on the table and the ashtray. Okay. Don't worry That's cool. about it. Don't worry about it. It's all good. All right. Um, anyway, it's an interesting question. Okay. How are you going to ask it? <laughs> um, he doesn't have to answer it. They'll, okay. they'll just introduce it oh. in the studio and reflect. Yeah, we'll say, like, so, like, you, you had a chance to meet people what? like Oh, um, so hold up. We're having an audio okay. issue. I'll try to translate. Okay. okay. Sorry. So, anyway, just move the mic up just a touch because mm -hmm. you're leaning in on it. Where is it? It's, uh, it's right here. It's when we move over there. Okay. Let me jump up. Sure, guys. Yeah, sure. Got a couple more. Yeah, I can. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally got it. Saw so you on New Year's Eve in New Jersey a couple of years ago. We're playing, yeah, uh, you're coming back. Yeah, yeah. 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 We're, we're playing uh, Trenton. On the 29th. Playing Trenton. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Mark, you still live right yeah, down here. Right? right outside of Trenton. I don't know the name of the venue, though. Yeah, there's a new, like, oh, arena type know. place downtown. Huh. It's pretty new, yeah. actually. Yeah, I'm sure that's where it is. So. Yeah, we're good, everyone? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, Slash, you actually used to have so many cool people hanging around when you were a kid. People like Stevie Wonder, Carly Simon, David Bowie. And once you met people, like Bowie, did that have any effect on what you thought about their music? Um, well, with David, when I first met him, um, he had just come out with Young Americans, which is a, was a great record to me then, as much as it right. is now. Um, it did, he didn't, 
it didn't really have any effect on me knowing him until way later. And he became, you know, such a major musical influence. Yeah. And the fact that he played with Mick Ronson, you know, it's right. like, why the One fuck the... did I know all that shit? <laughs> well, I know then. now back then, you know. But that's just the way it was. I played with, uh, I played on one of um, Carol King's records. Cool. And she was was a, a pretty big staple in the business when I was a kid. And um, I met her when I was younger. And of course, she would never remember it. But we have a mutual friend, uh, Teddy Andreatis, who's a oh, keyboard yeah. player. Oh, yeah, Teddy's a great guy. He, he, he played with her. So he, um, oh. I did a couple gigs with her, and I played on her record. And, and it was way interesting, almost uh, um, one of those kind of experiences where she's such, a, she's such an amazing artist, such a great lyricist and piano player and songwriter in general, that you feel sort of very humbled in her presence, you know. And, uh, you know, getting to play with her was a great moment. And it's funny that this is the same lady that I sort of, no, you, you know, didn't, you didn't have that kind of respect for when I was younger. Wow. Um, let see, I haven't, I haven't really played with too many people. I've met a lot of people, but I haven't played with too many people that um, I knew when I was a kid, you know. So I haven't had that experience too often. Wow. One of the coolest things is that you recently... Except for Iggy. Oh, except yeah. for Iggy. Right? He's so down to earth and unassuming. Uh, as, a, as a human being, that he breaks down that barrier like instantaneously, you know. So. I, I love Iggy. I, I love uh, the song "Cold Metal." Yeah, yeah. Remember that song? Okay, I was just gonna say. I think <laughs> one of the greatest things is that you were recently inducted into the uh, Rock Walk of Fame. Yeah. And and is your you know uh, start right next to uh, Page and Van Halen? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I forgot exactly how it's configured. But somewhere close to I that, mean, congratulations that on that. That was just this year. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Speaking of Which page, did you see any of the footage of the I haven't Led seen Zeppelin I haven't stuff? seen anything except for a couple of news clips that were real short on, yeah. on irregular network news. But I was going to go. Yeah, 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 it sounded good. Yeah, so I'm, I'm stoked about that, and I hope they continue to do it so I can actually go to a gig. Yeah. I was, that was really sort of a disappointment not going, but I had too much stuff going on here. Right. Yeah. What about Van Halen? I sent Halen? them all notes, though, saying break oh, a leg you? and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, the Van Halen thing I haven't seen yet, but I'm planning on going. Um, they just had one the other night, and I right. didn't even know. Oh. Steve Lukather called me up, and I was sitting at El Pollo Loco. <laughs> and he goes, I'm on my way to Van Halen. I said, what? Yeah. And uh, so I missed that one, but there's another one coming, and I might just go catch him just somewhere. You know? Yeah, cool. Very cool. Well, Sash, thank you so much for taking the time out mm. to come yeah. in with us. We can fit in like, one more question. I wanted to ask you, I mean, there's uh, been some rumors that you are actually thinking about doing a solo record at some point. I um, wanted to ask you about that, if it's true, and what... Well, like I, we I definitely want to do a solo record at some point very soon. I just haven't, um, with Velvet Revolver, that takes up all your time. So sure. as, as soon as that takes a break, which um, we want to go in and do a third record, so that's the priority. And then I guess when the dust clears on that one, then I'll start putting the solo record together. But I'm sort of, you know, like compiling ideas. Some stuff will get used for Velvet, and then the other stuff that doesn't, it's just sitting. Um, if it's the right song and whatnot, then I'll start, you know, sort of going through that leftover stuff and see if anything's appropriate. Cool. And you've had two great records with Velvet Revolver mm -hmm. and uh, with Scott. And do you ever think about, you know, there were so many big name singers that, that were rumored to be attached to you guys. You talk about some of them in the book, like Sebastian Bach and even you know, Asbury from The Cult. And I, somebody told us Brett Scallions was Brett, once in the yeah, running. Brett, I didn't, I didn't Dave Navarro you. told my wife that 
Brett Scallions was the new singer oh, of the really? band at one yeah. point. So do you Brett's ever think great. about what if we went with one of these other guys, or um, has it just been so right with Scott? It, yeah, I mean, I mean, Scott was actually the the main. Like, we had a very short list of great singers that were well known that had you know high profile professional careers. Mm-hmm. It was a very short list, and he was at the top of that list. But he was. You know, it's more or less unobtainable because he was still in STP and all that. So um, the other guys, it was just, it was, it was something. It wasn't anything against the actual singers themselves, or it was just a style. It was something that we were definitely wanted a certain kind of a sound. We didn't know exactly what that was, but certain singers just brought something into it that wasn't just quite right. Mm-hmm. So when Scott came in, that was it, and, right. and I never exactly looked back after that. Sure. Are there any players, uh, not even just hard rock or heavy metal players, but people that you'd love to have on your solo album when you do it? There's a there's a list of people that I want to work with. Some who I've, I've uh, gotten commitments from, and some I haven't really approached yet. But I'm not going to say. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Les, for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks yeah. for the free drink. Awesome. We'd love it if you'd sign our book. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, we were in here the other night and we were hanging out, and this guy was obliterated. He was like probably about forty years old, maybe a little older. His name was Troy, and and he was like, "You don't know who I am, do do you?" And I was like, "No, I really don't." He was like, "Well, I've played in some bands," and I was like, well, "Any bands I'd know of?" And he was like, "Yeah, Guns and Roses." And he was like dead serious. I thought he was kidding at at, uh, at first, but do you? You run into people like that who claim they knew you, and uh, yeah, probably all the time. It happens, yeah. Um, it happens. In the, I mean, some people are really, really funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but I run into a lot of people that say that we hung out here and we hung out there, and I'm like, oh, okay. You're like, I'm gonna necessarily right. remember, considering it's usually under the circumstances where you're not bound to remember it the next morning anyway. But uh, yeah, I hear a lot of stuff like that. Slash, thanks, man. This is so cool. You spoken with Izzy lately? Uh, no, I was thinking about him today. I, I, last time I talked to him, I was doing Howard Stern, oh, and okay. he called me and and he I heard was, that interview. He was Stern. laughing about the one of the incidents that I mentioned. <laughs> anyway, oh, the I, thing about the leg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I won't get into that. He, he I was don't think they'll air. It unfused. He was uh, joking about that. It's good to hear from Izzy whenever I do hear from him. He's such an awesome guy. Slash. Thank you for drawing this amazing art. I think you'd ever do some work with him again. Who is he? Um, You never know. I mean, we have such like a great sort of natural. You know, if he ever called me up and said, "Do you want to play on something?" I'd I'd be right there. Cool. You know. What am I putting this to? Mark. I'm sorry. With a K or C? Uh, K. Awesome. Doesn't hurt to ask. Oh. Oh yeah. Uh huh.
Domain names from GoDaddy.com are up to 70% less than the competition. Plus, each domain name includes free hosting with a website builder, a free blog, complete email, and much more. As a listener of the Talking Metal podcast, enter code METAL3, that's M-E-T-A-L-3, and save an additional $5 off any order of $30 or more. Some restrictions apply. See site for details. Get your piece of the internet at GoDaddy.com. GoDaddy is the official sponsor of the Talking Metal Podcast. And now on the phones, Bruno from Drive A. Hey. Hey, hey man. Hey, we Bruno. finally got you on the line there. How you doing, man? Uh, doing good. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Talking Metal Live and the Talking Metal Podcast. We are really psyched to talk to you because we got a few tracks sent over by our good friend Matt Larson, and they are rocking hard. Now, you guys are pretty young. How old are you, Bruno? Oh, I'm, I'm 15. You're 15? Wow. 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 So what do you you go to school during the day, and then you play the clubs at night? Uh, no, I'm, I'm homeschooled now. Oh, you're homeschooled. Okay. Good for you, man. And you guys are playing the Key Club tonight, right? Yeah, we're, we're playing uh, the Key Club every uh, Tuesday in April. Unbelievable, man. That is so cool. Mark and I were actually hanging right outside the Key Club uh, a few months back, but we didn't actually get a chance to see any bands play there, and we'd love to come out sometime. Because they've got thrown out. Yes. <laughs> so, so Bruno, tell me, what does Drive A actually mean? What, what's the meaning behind that? Um, well, Drive A, we, uh, we were, I was teaching one of the bass players, uh, well, I mean, uh, our old bass player, how to teach a, how to play a song, and uh, what's it called? And on one part, he just drives A. So uh, we just kind of thought it was cool, and then we, we kind of thought of a meaning afterwards. Like like driving the A note on on the bass. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like the ACDC thing. Like, Very the, Jimmy like Bain. Classic rock, like simple stuff. It, it's cool, I think. Hey, uh, Bruno, I really like some of the tunes. Man, Freak Out is my favorite song, I just have to say. And I like Alibi, Knock em Dead is cool. And uh, the album is done, right? Yeah. Now, it, can we, can, where can people get the record? Um, you can get it on our website, drivearocks.com. And it's a free download right now, right? Yeah. Which is amazing. We got to tell everybody to go to drivearocks.com and not only can you hear samples of this record, but you can download it for free. And I think it's so cool that you guys are just giving it away right now. Oh, yeah. We're, we're just trying to get fans right now. And I think it's the best way for people to, to really listen until they, they really get to know a band, kind of, just to get it for free, you know? Bruno, how old are the other guys in the band? Uh, the other guys, uh, one's 17, the bass player's 16, and the drummer's 19. Wow. So when you guys are playing at a club that's serving alcohol, I mean, is there any issues? Do the club owners freak out when they find out how young you guys are? Well, we usually will play all ages, uh, all ages venues. But when, whenever, I mean, we played the Key Club about a month ago. Uh, we opened for metal school, and it was 21 and over. So, like, we, we weren't allowed in the club while... A lot of other bands were playing. It was, it was kind of weird, but it was, it was still fun to play, though. And Bruno, I think what's really great about you guys is that you found other band members who were drug and alcohol-free. Oh, yeah. It's just kind of, I don't know, we've, we've always kind of just been like that, I guess. I think it's great because you said that you don't need that to, to rock out. You just need the music, and I think that's amazing. Yeah, well, we're, we're always busy all the time, so you can't really go out and do all that stuff. 
But Bruno, I heard you do have a vice, and it's, uh, from what I'm told, massive amounts of junk food and fat food. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, that's... Fast food, I mean, I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, I eat, that's all I eat, basically. What's your favorite fast food restaurant? Um, In-N-Out Burger and uh, Chick-fil-A. Oh, Chick-fil-A. I, I, I remember that uh, in, in a couple of malls. Like It's like, uh, you know, chicken sandwiches and stuff. I love that. Do you yeah. know there's a, an actual arena somewhere called the Chick-fil-A Center? I don't know. I, I have no clue. There really is. You know how like you have Madison Square Garden and then you have the Civic Arena, but now it got changed to the uh, Mellon Arena, and that's in Pittsburgh. Now there's like some new arena, and Chick-fil-A is now their owner, and it's called the Chick-fil-A Center. I forgot what city that's in, but that uh, that's how big that place is now. I did spend a night once in the In-N-Out Motel. <laughs> is it, not to be associated with In-N-Out Burger. No, you broke your wrist snowboarding recently, right? Or was that a while ago? Uh, about a year ago. And it's all healed up, yeah. all right? Cool. And you guys spun that off into a song? Yeah, well, I mean, it was kind of, it's not really the the meaning of the song. It's kinda, I kind of just used it as like a metaphor of the song because I, I broke my wrist snowboarding and then I kind of I kind of wanted to make it into something like, I don't know, just more like that means more than just falling down and breaking her arm, you know? Right. So, Bruno, tell us about, you guys are getting ready to go out with Cheap Trick? Oh, no. Uh, we, we played with Cheap Trick in December, a few gigs. That's great. And you have people like Tommy Lee and Don Henley and all these, like, top guys thinking you're cool. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I don't, it's, it's really weird to have that, you know? I don't know. I was going to ask you who you grew up listening to, but I think you're, you're still growing up, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> Good for you, man. I wish I was only 15. <laughs> Cool, man. Well, we'll let you go, and uh, I wish you all the, the, the best of luck tonight at your show at the at the Key Club, right? I wish I was there. Oh, thanks. Thanks and, for having me on. Are you, hey, no problem, man. Anytime. You bet. And when you come through New York, please let us know, and hopefully we can hook up for an in-person interview. That would be cool. Yeah. Excellent. I'm going to get into a song right now, which has just an enormous riff called Thrown Away. Tell me about this riff. Who came up with it? Uh, I did. Oh, nice, nice. I, I hear, I hear like big ACDC sounding. Uh, what, what else? Almost like the song doesn't sound Sabbathy, but at times the riff does. Yeah, I, I kind of almost like a, like Jimi Hendrix too. I don't know. I just, man, we just jammed the cool riff. I guess. Cool, Bruno. Can we get you to say an ID, saying your name and the name of your band, and and you're listening to Talking Metal? Okay. Whenever you're ready. Okay. Hey, this is Bruno from Drive A, and you're listening to Talking Metal. And this is Thrown Away by Drive A. Thanks, Bruno. Have a good night. Okay. Thanks, Bruno.
Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.